most of us, we think in terms of our limitations based on what we have currently in our accounts. And not in terms of what is God leading me into? What is he placing in my heart? Have I put a cap on what I think God can do for me? Now, it's one thing for you to say God can do this for, for the pastor. It's one thing when you say I can do this for my best friend. What is my thinking like? Have I put a cap on God's ability to do certain things in my life? We're going to begin here at Hebrews 11 and verse number one once again. But I want to reiterate something that I taught at an earlier time about order. Um, let me also admonish you to, uh, if you want to ever go back to some of the things that we've taught in previous time, you know, you, of course, you have YouTube that's available, Facebook that's available. But also let me uh, make reference of the fact that we do have a working podcast. Amen. It's up every single week uh, with the messages both from Sunday and from Thursday night. So uh, they are available. They're a month behind. Yes. Amen. But that's why I was listening to one today and I said, well, that was pretty good. Amen. <laughs> when did I go over that? You know, I'm going to have some quizzes at church. <laughs> but uh, they are available on Apple um, iTunes and of course Spotify I think as well uh, under the training center and so they're available anytime that you need them praise God but one of the things that we talked about particularly on um, during one of the Thursday night sessions is this area of order and we indicated to you that the word order literally means arrangement in rows it means a sequence of time it means classification it means organization it means likeness it means regulation direction a command it means declaring a will and one of the things that we need to understand particularly when we're talking about the subject of faith is that it is a part of the order of God that God says that the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by everybody that's been justified by the blood of Jesus shall live by faith. It is a command. So understanding that yes, we have to live by faith is vitally important. It is not a suggestion. It is something that God cut, that God says that it is, or it should be, or must be a lifestyle. One of the things that we said on Sunday, of course, is that faith is a lifestyle that you choose to live, not a moment you choose to have. It is a lifestyle that you choose to live, not a moment you choose to have. Faith has never been intended for you to do this as a one-time event. Oh, I got to use my faith now. You're supposed to be living your faith. You're supposed to be walking by faith. Every year, you're supposed to have a new, dare I say, adventure in your faith where you're developing in your trust for and with God. We also said on Sunday, whatever God calls you to will require faith. So we got to understand that because if he says it's impossible to please him apart from faith, everything that he calls you to is going to require faith. Every area of your life is going to require faith. It should not be for Christians that I'm walking by faith and you are not. 
Everybody has to walk by faith. Everything God calls you to will require faith. He says, go this way. Well, it's going to require faith. He says, take this job. It's going to require faith. He says, move here. It's going to require faith, which is the reason why we said number three, faith means you will always have some unanswered questions in your life. And we've got to get comfortable with that. With the fact that I don't know everything. I don't, I, I'm trusting God whom I can't see based on a word that I can't see that he's going to take care of me and my family. And that means there are going to be times in my life where I'm like, well, how does this part fit with that part? Well, I don't know, but I trust him. Faith means that, yes, you are going to have times in your life where you have unanswered questions. And so we have to be very comfortable in regards to that. Now, let's look back at our definition, our definitional scripture of faith at Hebrews 11 and verse number one. Hebrews 11 and verse number one, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And we broke this out to understand that now faith is, which means faith is always present tense. Yes? If my faith, you're talking in terms of faith and you're saying, I used to believe this, I used to believe that, that means you are not in faith. Faith always is present tense. Number two, we said that it is a substance, which means it is a composition, a composition, a mixture of two elements, if you will. The two spiritual elements that it defines here that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So we have two particular compositions of two elements, spiritual elements, that comprise what we say is Bible faith. So we said before that hope is the aspiration of the good. It is a dream. It is an ambition. It is a yearning. It is a craving for something that is righteously good. But if I just got hope by itself, I don't have Bible faith. If I'm hoping that God's going to do this, I hope that God will meet my needs here. I hope that God will take care of me there. Then that's all you have. You have one part of the particular element called faith. And that's the reason why perhaps you're not seeing any manifestation in your life. Hope by itself is important. And that's the reason why we emphasize that over two sessions. But hope by itself is not Bible faith. A lot of Christians have hope, but they have not gotten to the area of Bible faith. Why? Because he says it's the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Evidence. And we said the evidence again means you have one or more reason to believe that something is true. You have proof, you have substantiation, you have something that you can hang your hat on. I remember when my wife and I, we were believing for our second child, uh, Rainbow came really easy for us. We had Rainbow and praise God for it. And, but when we got ready to have Zoe, not so much. And one of the things that we had to do during that particular time in our life is that we were hoping to have another child, but we had to have some evidence that God would, in fact, give us another child. That, that we had to find the scriptures and see where he said the fruit of the womb is blessed. We had to find the scriptures where he he'd indicated certain promises regarding 
having children. And that's where I begin. We put it on the wall in our room. We put it on, on downstairs so that we can look at it because we had the hope. But you had to have the evidence that God, what he said, can be possible for me. Evidence, again, is the proof. It's the substantiation. It is what you hang your hat on to say this is true. And if you really think about it, uh, watch this really quick out of the uh, Amplified. The Bible says out of the Amplified, now faith is the substance, the title deed, the confirmation of things hoped for, divinely guaranteed, and the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of their reality. You find evidence so that you can move to an area of conviction of the reality of the thing you can't see. I heard, I think, Ivy Hill, you say one thing, and I, it blessed me. He said, most of the time, when you think about Christians, they're really, when they, what they call faith is just really reasoning on tiptoes. Where I can kind of see how all this is going to fit together, and I'm calling that faith. I can see, well, well if the Lord really doesn't show up, we're going to be all right, because really, I got a real plan. <laughs> And, and in the beginning, you know what I mean, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have a plan. Don't get, misunderstand what I'm saying to you. But when you move into Bible faith, this is where you really start to step out into this area where I got to have God. I don't, I don't know how this is going to work. I got, I'm done my part and I'm believing you, God, to do your part. But if you don't do your part, God, I got nothing. I'm stepping out on the impossible situation and the impossible circumstance. All things are possible unto him that believeth. This is what faith is. It's not where you stepped out on your tiptoes. You kind of know how this is going to work out. No, faith steps out. Now, I'm stepping out on God. I'm completely trusting you. Now, let me put, put a balance in regards to that. Because most people, when they hear me say something like that, they say, that's right, Reverend, I'm going to sell my house. I'm going to do this big, extraordinary thing to say I'm walking by faith. No, did God tell you to do that? Because you could be selling your house or selling your car, and God didn't tell you to do that, and then you're walking. And then you're blaming God, and God saying, well, I didn't tell you to do that. Faith has to have a word, which is the evidence. The evidence. Hope. Aspiration for the good. Evidence, a word from God or a written word or promise from God. So you have two elements here in regards to this ev evidence area. You have the rhema word, which is the spoken word of God. But you also have the logos, which is the written word of God. You will never hear a rhema word from God that is in disagreement with the logos. And a lot of times, for a lot of Christians, if we don't have enough logos on the inside of us, we don't have the, we don't have the capacity yet to hear this great rhema word from God. Now, I use the word capacity on purpose. It's not that God is not speaking, but you haven't built up enough in your spirit to understand his verbiage yet. How he's speaking to me. That God didn't tell you go down there and cuss nobody out. God didn't tell you go down there and act carnally. Well, you just got to do that. Lord, you just got to understand. No, God didn't never tell you to do that. God didn't tell you to do anything that's in violation of the logos. And so a lot of times, even when God speaks to you and give you a rhema word, he will direct you back to a scripture that you can have as a promise to hang your hat on. Even as, as that is a part of the evidence area in your life. That makes sense? All right, let's keep going. Now look, when we think about faith, 
we think about it in such a way, I want to be extremely practical tonight within reason, but we often think about faith in this great spiritual abstract way, you know, the great power of God moving in operation. And that is an aspect of it, and that's true. But when you really think about faith as well, just generally as a, as a way of thought, you have to look at it also as we use faith for everything that we do. We have so many transactions in life that are faith transactions. I.e., When you go to work, most of us, when we go to work, and they, I, when they hired you, they tell you, this is how much we're going to pay you. Now, most of us, when they said, this is how much we're going to offer you, uh, and we're going to pay you this much monthly, weekly, biweekly, etc., most of us don't go and say, well, I need to see you pay me first, and then I'll show up and do some work. We don't say, hey, look here, um, you know, I need my check first, and then you get your work. Most people don't operate that way. Most people say, okay, what I will do is I will work the designated time and then I will expect for you to pay me. It is a faith transaction. Now, another example that we have is when you take your money that you just made from work and you take it down to the bank or you have them do a direct deposit, particularly if you have a direct deposit like most of us do in this day and age that we live in today because I still remember when you used to had to take your check down there, get your check, you know, stand that line, get your check cash, put it over here and do all those kind of things. Some people still do that. But uh, if you think about it in terms of a direct deposit, you never actually see the money. They tell you, fill this form out. And what's going to happen, Mrs. Smith, Mr. Smith, Mr. This, this is what's going to happen, is we're going to put your money in this account. All you got to do is come to work, and we were going to put your money in this account. And you usually will show up, go to work, do a good job, because you believe, which is hope, that they are going to put your money in this said account. You go work by faith. You go do things on ex in excellence by faith. Believing that this secular boss that you have is going to deposit this money. You look on your phone or perhaps you go to the bank and it says you have money in the account. You've not seen a dollar physically. But you believe because the account says on Friday you got paid that your account changed. What am I saying? All of these things are faith exchanges. Another example that we could think of as well, and I use this all the time, if you think in terms, how many of us have an Amazon account? Amen. An Amazon account, a, a Prime account. I was, I, was, I was at our other house and the Lord just dealt with me one night. He said, this son is a faith exchange. You have an Amazon account. You, what do you do when you want something from Amazon? You go online and you search for the thing that you want. You, watch this, you hope they have it. And the first thing you just say, well, I hope, I hope this is up here and I hope they got a good price. So you go online, you look for the thing that you need. You say, that's it right there, I see it. There it is. You don't have it in your hand, but you say, okay, they have it. They say I can get it maybe in a day. I can get it in two days. They sped it up here. Thank God for that. You can get it sometimes in, in the same day. Praise God. 
But because you see that your hope has been satisfied, that it is available for you, you have an exchange of your money. You put your card in, your credit card, your debit card, you put that in, and then they give you a confirmation of the thing that you purchased. And the amazing thing in this transaction is, I know for me, I'll go tell my wife, babe, you know that thing you wanted? We got it. Now, we don't have it at the house at all. It's not sitting in there, but I got a confirmation slip that tells me, or confirmation email, that indicates that this particular product that I came to Amazon hoping it was going to be there, I found evidence that it's there, I had the exchange of money that it was there, I put in my card, I paid for it, and I got this confirmation, and it says it's going to be here tomorrow at this particular time. Not only did they say it's going to be at this particular time, they start sending notifications that it's coming. And you start looking out there at times. I've seen them out there and you get it. Okay, they said they're 10 houses away. I'm waiting on it because I'm expecting what I ordered to manifest. The whole thing is a faith exchange. And the Lord convicted me hard one night. He said, son, you don't know anybody at Amazon. You don't know anybody in the warehouse. You don't know anybody where the product is coming from. You don't know anything about Amazon other than the fact you have a relationship with them that they've delivered on time in the past. It's a faith exchange. Why are you struggling believing me? You believe this secular person, was it Mike Bezos? Never met him a day in your life. He's sending people up to space. But you have confidence in his company that when I pick something, I pay for something, it's going to show up. But when you say, God, I need for you to make it rain on Thursday. I need God for you to do this extraordinary thing to prove to me that what you said in your word is possible for me. God says, we got a problem. You trust a secular person more than you trust me. When the entire thing is still a faith exchange. What am I saying? Essentially that faith is, in fact, something that we live by every day. And so when we are talking about it in terms of living by faith spiritually with God, it's, it's still faith. It's still a transaction in which, yes, what happens is I hope that God wants this for me. I find the promise in the scripture that covers my situation. And that becomes the proof that I have it. So I go in prayer from that point on. And I believe that I receive it before it manifests in my life. I talk like it's coming. I act like I got it. I do all of the corresponding things saying that I believe that I receive. And then God says it will show up more guaranteed than Amazon will. But the question is, do you believe that? Now let's look at this at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in verse number 7. It says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. For we walk by faith and not by sight. The New Living Translation says, For we live by believing and not by seeing. This is the life of the believer. We live by believing and not seeing. So you hear people say, well, seeing is believing. Not for the believer. Believing is seeing. Believing is seeing. Now I want you to notice these couple of scriptures really quick. I'm going to run through this really quick. 
when we say that we believing is seeing, first of all, we believe that God's word is the truth. John 17 and verse number 17 says, Jesus speaking says, sanctify them, uh, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. This is something that you have to come to grips with. This is something that you have to have um, as something that you, a uh, conviction of your life, that the word of God is the truth. Sanctify unto thy word, thy word is true. God's word, watch this, is life. Jesus says in Matthew chapter four and verse number four, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, which means man shall not live strictly by natural substance. We just got done, well, some of y'all just got done eating. And part of the reason why uh, we bring the meal in on, on Thursdays, because of course everybody works and everything and we're eating. But we understand, see, this is something we understand, we got to eat, you know. Well, frankly, folks get angry when they, when they haven't eaten. They get hangry, as they call it. Because we understand we got to eat natural food. Jesus says that man shall not live by bread alone, not just by natural food, but you should see, watch it, he says, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Your spiritual life is just as important, if not more important, than your physiological life. Just like you got to eat a meal daily, you should be eating of the word daily. Most of us have no problem feeding ourselves a minimum three times a day, but we do have a problem reading the word of God once. That's a whole problem. All right, don't shout me down when I'm preaching. <laughs> All right, praise the Lord. God's word gives light. Now, I want you to look at this. <clears throat> I'm going to slow here. Psalms 119, God's word gives light. God's word gives light. Let's look at Psalms 119. Like I said, we'll see how far we get tonight. Because as I look at my clock, I haven't even begun. But time is getting away from us tonight. Psalms 119. Let's look at this really quick. Let's start at verse number 105. Familiar scripture. Psalms 119 verses 105. The King James Version of the Bible says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Let's back up a little bit. I want you to listen to this out of the uh, New Living Translation. Let's look at verse number 97. Out of the New Living Translation says, Oh, how I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. Your commands, watch this, make me wiser than my enemies. For they are my consistent guide. You know the word of God will make you wiser than any enemy that you have? Yes. That this, pre see if you have your Bible open, this precedes that. I will get there in just a sec. That's, like I said, we have Bibles in the back. All you got to do is get one open and that's what, this is Bible study, Amen. Even for all of you all that are watching us by way of, of streaming or of recording. Man, we, that's one of the reasons why we put the scriptures on the screen because we want us to have a focus on the word of God. Amen. He says, your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are my consistent guide. It doesn't matter who's against you. The more words you get on the inside of you, man, you can be wiser than your, your strongest enemy. He says, yes, I have more insight than my teachers. For I am always thinking about your law. 
Now, in my own life, I've seen this because, you know, I'm not saying anything begrudgingly against my undergraduate, but there were times I had professors that they taught the Bible, but they didn't believe the Bible. And this scripture particularly stands out to me because if you don't believe the word, but you can teach the word, then you don't get the power from the word. So, yes, sometimes you can be wiser than your teachers. He says, watch this. I am even wiser than my elders, for I have kept your commandments. Now, I wanted to stop here because I was looking at this and I was just just meditating on this a few minutes. What does he mean? The King James Bible uses the term I'm wiser than my ancestors. He says, I'm even wiser than my elders. You know, you can have some folks that have been around here a long time, but hadn't learned anything about the word, hadn't learned anything about God, and you can be wiser than them even at a younger age. Just because you've been around here a long time does not mean that you are wise, not according to the Bible. It just means you've been around here a long time. Wisdom, as, as Sister Corby used to say, doesn't necessarily come with age. Okay? Let's keep going. Verse number 101. He says, I have refused to walk on my on any evil path so that I may remain obedient to your word. I haven't turned away from your regulations for you have taught me well. How sweet. Verse 103. Your words taste to me and how sweeter than honey. Your commandments give me understanding. That's the reason why I said just a minute ago, Jesus said, we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The word should get to a point in your life where it starts becoming sweet to you. You spend enough time with it. This becomes a light to your path, sweet. You enjoy getting more insight and understanding from God and through his word. He says, watch this, verse uh, 104 out of the New Living Translation. Your commandments, watch this, give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. And then he says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light to my path. Now, I always look at it when I see this scripture. He says, word is a lamp or a light unto my feet, a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Your word is the thing that illuminates the area of my feet, which means my current circumstances. But the word of God also illuminates the path that I am to take, which is vision. God, where am I going? So the more word in my heart, the more sweeter the word gets to me. He says, God says, I will illuminate those areas in your life that are touching you currently. But by the same balance, he says, I'll give you insight, understanding to the vision that I gave you that will show you how to go this way. So the word becomes vitally important. In both instances, though, it requires that you walk by faith, which is walking based on the word of God. Drop down to uh, uh, verse 130 for the sake of time. 130. Now notice this one. The New Living, uh, New uh, King James Version of the Bible says, The interest of thy word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. The interest of thy word gives light. Once again, the more words you get, the more light you begin to walk in. The more understanding of that word you get, the more light you begin to walk in. That's why Proverbs says, in all of thy getting, get understanding. 
This is not a religious practice that we're doing. This is a life for the believer. The more word, the more understanding, the more understanding, the more illumination of my circumstances and my situation, the more wisdom I walk in, the more I can understand and hear God. But every element that I just mentioned a minute ago will require that you receive the word of God by faith as well. If you understand that, say amen. All right. Now, let's look back over here at Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Tonight, we are going to spend the rest of our time talking about my asking, my thinking, and God's will. My asking, my thinking, and God's will. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. My asking, my thinking, and God's will. So we just covered, in review, that the just shall live by faith. We just covered a few minutes ago that you live by faith in so many different arenas of your life. Extending that over to your Heavenly Father should be something that you shouldn't resist. Because God is more worthy of your trust than any human that's walking on this planet. But you got to get to the point that you believe that. Now, Ephesians uh, 3 and verse 20, watch this. As we read last week, it says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think, according to the power that worketh within us. And we stopped and we indicated, he says, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what we ask or think. Ask or think. God can exceed whatever I'm asking. He can exceed what I'm thinking. Now the issue for a lot of folks is our thinking is too low. That what God exceeds is still a high in your life because your thinking capacity has to be expended for God to get you in a position where your asking is in connection with his will. The New International Version of the Bible says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably, immeasurably more than we ask or, or more than all we ask or imagine. Now the word think, as we indicated to you before, literally means the exercise, the more exercise of the mind observed. God is able to do more than we ask or observe with the mind. He's able to do more than we ask or comprehend. It's literally what that word means. He's able to do more than what we are able to consider, perceive, think, or understand. And we looked at Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 for the sake of time. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. And one of the things I cannot emphasize enough in this particular teaching in regards to faith is that, yes, the renewal of the mind has to do with you memorizing and getting the word of God in your heart. Yes, that is an aspect of the renewal of the mind. But the renewal of the mind also means that God wants to put your mind back to its creative space that it used to be before the fall. God, the word there says the renewal of the mind, that word renewal literally means revival, restoration, rehabilitation, resurrection and recovery. So he says, don't be conformed to the system or the way the world operates, but he says, but be transformed by the renovation, the rehabilitation, the recovery, the revival, the restoration of your, dare I say, your righteous mind. One of the things that God keeps telling me to tell you is that God wants to use your mind. He wants to inspire. 
inspire your thinking. He wants to inspire the way you perceive things. He wants to enlarge your comprehension of certain areas in your life. You know, one of the things we should ask ourselves on a routine basis, we said all the time back in college, what would I do today for God if money wasn't an issue? What would I accomplish for God if money was an issue? Most of us, we think in terms of our limitations based on what we have currently in our accounts and not in terms of what is God leading me into? What is he placing in my heart? Have I put a cap on what I think God can do for me? Now, it's one thing for you to say God can do this for, for the pastor. It's one thing for you to say God can do this for my best friend. What is my thinking like? Have I put a cap on God's ability to do certain things in my life? Now, let's look over here at Mark 11. I'm going to put this together. Mark 11. My asking, my thinking, and God's will. My asking, my thinking, and God's will. Mark 11. And verse number 23, Mark 11 and verse 23, and we're going to look at 23 and 24. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Okay. This is why I usually have you read. I'm going to put it back on the screen. Amen. Mark 11 and verse 23. You got it? Scripture says this, for verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt, notice the term, in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. And then he says, verse 24, therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them and ye shall have them. He says, for I say unto you that whosoever shall say to this mountain, be thou removed. So we indicate to us an element in regards to faith. Faith does require that you speak. He says, say unto this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea. And he said, and shall not doubt in his heart. So he's indicating to us where the restraints are, where your faith is concerned. The doubt that's in your heart. He says, but shall believe that those things, and he says again, that thou sayest, so in the case again, that words have something to do with the release of your faith, shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, whatsoever things ye desire. Now, what are you talking about this desire, Jesus? When you pray, he says, believe. Believe that ye receive them and ye shall have them. So let's break this thing down. My believing, there I say, based on these scriptures, corresponds with my speaking. My believing corresponds with my speaking. When I listen to myself speak, I am indicating what I really believe. And I'm going to show you that in just a sec. He's saying, if you shall say to and shall not doubt in your heart, but shall believe those things which thou said shall come to pass. So my limitations, it's not about God. It's about where maybe I'm using my mouth to cut off what I am believing for. 
I'm speaking against my own future. This is one of the reasons why I do not like when people talk down about themselves. People say, well, you know, I ain't too smart. I ain't too bright. You know, I ain't the smartest. Uh, I ain't the sharpest pencil in the box. All these kind of things. And you think that, that ha, 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 he, he, you're speaking against your own self. The Bible says that the wisdom of God is literally formed within you. You have a righteous, renewed mind, a creative mind. And you should be believing God that the greater one, he lives on the inside of you. So I'm not in this by myself. The wisdom of God flows in my life, which means, yeah, I might not know what I'm going to do right now, but the wisdom of God is flowing in my life and I will know what to do. I don't speak against my own future by using these little worldly jokes to speak against my own self. Side journey. My believing corresponds with my speaking. My believing corresponds with my speaking or my mouth. This is what Jesus says. My speaking or my mouth reveals my heart. My speaking or my mouth therefore reveals my heart. And number three, my mouth, he says essentially, my heart is the seat of my desires. My heart is the seat of my desires. He says, therefore I say unto you, what? things soever ye desire when ye pray believe ye should receive them and ye shall have them what ye desire well that's what's in your heart he says that doubt and doubt not in his heart but shall believe so he indicates to you once again that my heart is the seat of my desires now i'm going to speed up just for a second because we're going to get somewhere and then we're going to slow back down my asking reflects my heart condition so my asking reflects my heart's condition and my heart's location. Look really quick, if you will, to Luke chapter 6 and verse 45. Luke chapter 6 and verse 45. Now notice this is Jesus speaking again. We should notice, again, that's the reason why our assignment this particular month at this church is to read the book of John. Amen. Mm -hmm. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Because we are Bible readers at the training center. Amen? Amen. Not just the pastor. Amen. I was listening to a podcast of a sister talking about a church that she was attending. And, uh, you know, at that time she, she left the church and kind of walked away from faith. And I've heard these stories kind of before from various people that, you know, maybe they get a glimpse of, of a well-known pastor and they, they get into an area where they fell and they're like, well, we were doing all kinds of things that wasn't exactly scriptural, but, and then, and I don't know, it just didn't seem right with me. And, and then when the pastor falls, they lose their faith. Sometimes when I see that kind of thing, I have to ask the question, at what point in time did you begin to lose faith in God and only have faith in the pastor? We got a problem. Now you should believe in your leaders, but you don't lift your leaders up before God, because that's called idolatry, good old-fashioned idolatry. I am looking at my spiritual leaders as I look at my heavenly father. When I don't see the connection anymore, I'm sticking with God, and I say, look, I got to go. This ain't going to work no more for me, okay? Because I got to stick with him, and if I can't see him through you, then we can't be together anymore. Does that make sense? So if Pastor Smith fall tomorrow, which I'm not, let me just say that, put that out there, <laughs> Your faith should still be intact, which is one of the reasons why I admonish you to read the word so that your faith continues to develop and grow in your heavenly father. Does that make sense? Yes. If your leader is getting to a point where they are outside, particularly if we're talking about church, 
outside of the word of God, yes, you should. No. No. If you let me say this again. If your leader is getting beyond the scope of the scripture, because there's a lot of that going on today. When we were in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 2003, we were at a church where we were around the church that was in the middle of a fall. I'm not going to call the name. But one of the things that was going on with him is that that particular leader decided that we didn't have the revelation he had. He had heard from God in a special way. And even though his colleagues said, well, what, but the scripture says this. He said, no, y'all just not on this level, essentially. And if you were to pull him up today, he's still saying the same thing. saying that the church has to get to this new deeper revelation. Well, it's just good old fashioned heresy repackaged. Okay. The moment that I'm not in the book anymore, no, you, no, you, you got to go. You know, I, I love my mentor. But the moment he says, I got this new deep spiritual revelation and it's not in the scripture, I can't find it anywhere. I said, man, listen, I love you, but I'm going to stick with the book. Okay, that's side journey. All right. Scripture says in Luke chapter 6, you should have it by now. You have it? Yes. Verse 45. It says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. He says, an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. Then he indicates, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks, which indicates the same thing he says over in Mark. We can tell where your heart is based on your mouth and what you speak. Now look at that same scripture in the New Living Translation. It says it like this. I love how it says it here. It says, a good person produces good things, watch the word, from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. So when we're talking in terms of asking things from God, we got to locate first, what is the condition of my heart? The condition of my heart, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Matthew 15 and verse 11 says, I the Amplified, it is not what goes into uh, to the mouth of a man that defiles or dishonors him. It's what comes out of the mouth that defiles and dishonors him. What's coming out of me determines what's on the inside of me. That makes sense? So when we're talking about doubt coming out of your mouth, maybe it's because you haven't fed enough word on the inside of you for faith to come out. Let's keep going. That's the condition of your heart. Let's look at John 15 and verse number seven. My asking reflects my heart's condition and it also reflects my heart's location. John chapter 15 and verse seven. And verse uh, seven says, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Notice the term here, he says, if ye abide in me. Well, how can I abide in him? How can I abide in you, Jesus? He's talking about the heart condition. So he's talking about a location. First instance, he's talking about the condition of your heart. The second, he's talking about the location of your heart. Where is my heart located? Is it located in the abundance of abiding in the word of God? Or is it a one-time event for me? What's coming out of my mouth? Is it consistent with my belief system, which is based on the word? Or is it consistent with the belief system that I believe the world system? Give you a very practical test. 
when I see the gas prices and I go up there, do I agree with the other people say, I don't know how we're going to pay for this. It's so high. Lord Jesus. I don't know how we're going to make it. Now you're the believer. You're the Christian. You sound just like the person over here at the other pump that say they don't know God. Instead, what if you say, well, this sounds religious. No, what if when I go to the pump, I say, Lord, this high, but I thank you that you supply all of my needs according to your riches and glory. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, God, that I got enough to put something in my gas tank now. Thank you, Lord. I, even if I don't have enough right now to be able to pay for what I need right now, per se, as I define it. Thank you, God, I got enough to take care of, to get where I need to go right now. Thank you, Lord, that I believe I receive abundance because, Lord, you said that you would rebuke the devourer for my sake. You said, Lord, that if, if I would be a tither and a giver, you open the windows of heaven over my life. Father, I thank you that I put you in remembrance of your word. And as I'm pumping right now with what I got, I thank you, God, that you are my supply and you'll take care of my niece. Now this begins to change when it's on the inside of you. Now this is something that the angels can get involved with. This is something the Spirit of God can get involved with because they hear the words of faith. You're speaking as Jesus is saying to that mountain. Sometimes that mountain is that mountain of what I see at $4.13. Boy that's a mountain. Lord Jesus I just put something in my truck and I said is, is it ever going to stop? <laughs> He's going up and up and up. But thank you, God, I had the money to be able to do that. Thank you, God, that you've supplied my needs. Let me take a side journey here. Last year in the month of December, I was looking at our bills and looking at everything that took place for our family. And I heard on the inside of me, son, you haven't even asked me for your needs. But you're saying you ain't got enough. I was like, well, what do you mean? I, you, 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 you keep confessing. Well, I don't know how we're going to make it. This is, oh, what we're going to pay for this, all these kind of things. Have you even started with considering me? He said, what do you want? I said, well, I don't really know. And I, I had to think about it. What do you want? If God said, I'm going to give you this amount of money, do you know what the number is? Hey, you figured that out? I'm believing you, God, for this business. Do you know how much you need to sustain it? I'm believing you, God, for this school. Do you know the budget that you're believing for? If he said, all right, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to grant it to you tomorrow. Do you know the number or is it this abstract thing? He said, have you figured? out how much you need. I said, okay, I'm going to do my job. I'm going to figure out how much I need. And I started calculating up what I needed. Just a second. I started calculating how much our bills are, how much our mortgage is, and all these things. And I said, okay, this is what we need. I'm here to tell you, as a testimony, just to encourage you, on Friday, we've exceeded what I said back in December by at least $4,000. He said, write it down. Sounds very similar to write the vision, make it plain, so that you can run thereafter. That's why you write it down. Because one, it speaks to you when you don't see anything. And number two, it speaks to your faith that I am believing God for this to be a manifestation. Lord, that is a target that I'm believing you for. Most of us say, God, we want you prosperous, Lord. Well, God's saying, okay, well, how much you want? 
Have you even, have you even asked me? Am I a consideration first? Or have you spoke or looked at the circumstances and made your determination before you consider your God? I'm preaching better than you respond. <laughs> All right. Where am I in the scripture? You had a question still? Okay, I thought that would probably go away in a minute. Now let's look over here really quick. I'm going to close here. Psalms 37. Psalms 37. Okay, we we're talking in terms of the location of my heart. He says, if you abide in me, and my word abides in you, you ask what you will, and it will be done. Abide in me, and my words abide in you. The word abide means continue. It means to dwell. It means to endure. It means to be present. It means to remain. It means to tarry. Which means it sounds like it's not a one-time event. If the location of my heart is important for my asking, then it seems like something I need to attend to. Where is my heart condition? Now look at this over here in Psalms 37. I'm going to stop here. But I want to show you this. <clears throat> Psalms 37. Do you have it? I have the King James Version of the Bible. I was going to go straight to number five, and then I was looking at this, and I, I saw this, and I was like, no, you, there, there's a connective point here. The scripture says in verse number one, it says, fret not thyself because of evil doors, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. So he said, don't, 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 don't get, get messed up over the fact that people are not living right and people are working wrong or doing things that are wrong. He says, for they will soon be cut down like grass and wither as green herbs. So you ain't got to worry about it. It's going to it, it, nobody gets away with anything is essentially what's indicating. But notice this, verse number three. He says, trust in the Lord and do good. So shan't thy dwell in the land and verily thou shan't be fed. Notice the first part, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. And if you trust in the Lord, he says, do what's good, do what's right. And he says, if you do what's right, he says, you will dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. So I don't have to worry about the inflation. I trust in the Lord. So he's going to take care of me and my family. Now, look how this connects with the next verse. Verse number four. He says, delight thyself also in the Lord. So he indicates trust in the Lord. Something's going to happen. The next thing he says, delight thyself in the Lord. Also in the Lord, he says, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Delight thyself in the Lord. What does it mean to delight in the Lord? Take pleasure in him. God, I take pleasure in serving you. I take pleasure in getting in your word. I take a joy in getting into knowing you more. He says, when you do that, he shall give you the desires of your heart. So he says, trust in the Lord and do good. He says, delight. The more time you spend delighting in the Lord, he says, he'll give you the desire of your heart. There's two ways, of course, to look at that. That God will give me um, the things that I'm desiring. That's one way to look at it, and that's fine. You can look at it that way. Generally, when I look at the scripture, I look at it this way. The more I delight in God, the more he drops his desires in my heart. Once again, we're talking about your heart location. We're talking about a body. The more I delight myself in God, the more he drops his will for my life on the inside of me. And then he says behind that number five, commit your ways to the Lord. 
trust him also, and he shall bring it to pass. We see here a formula for success. Verse number three, verse number four, and verse number five. If you have a highlight, highlight the first words. Trust, delight, and commit. Trust, delight, and commit. Trust in the Lord. And then he says he's going to do something. Delight in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord. And he says, trust him and he shall bring it to pass. So when I trust God, I delight in you, God. I'm committed to you, God. God's going to bring it to pass. It sounds like faith to me. Does it not sound like that to you? But it is contingent on you doing something. I'm going to read this out of the Amplified really quick. And then we're going to close. Uh, the Amplified Version of the Bible, that same scripture says it like this. It says, trust on, it says, trust, rely on, and have confidence in the Lord and do good. In your life, this is something, see, again, this is where the element of faith begins to become relational. That I have confidence in my God. Well, how did I begin to have confidence in God? You got to learn some more about it. The more I learn about him, the more I discover more about his character, the more I begin to discover his, his heart towards me, then I can develop in this area of trust. It all comes through the element of time. He says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you or he will give you the desires, the petitions of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord, trust in him and he will do it. The thing that I'm believing God for. Have I started with trust? Do I have delight? And do I have a commitment? This is where we're going to pick up on Sunday. Because my assignment on Sunday is to talk about this area of faithfulness. Sometimes it's not that you're not doing the right thing. It's that you haven't done it long enough. God says, I want to see that you trust me. I want to see that you're delighting in me. And I want to see the commitment. But the commitment comes about through this arena called faithfulness. I don't quit. God, you'll find me doing the last thing that you told me to do and doing it with all of my heart. And that key element is the display of the faith and the belief that I say that I have. We'll pick up there on Sunday. Let's pray. Father God, in the authority of the name of Jesus, God, we bless you and we praise you for everything that you're doing in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that the condition of our heart, Lord, is in you. The location of our heart, God, is in you. And so, God, even as we ask, we ask because we are in the position of abiding. We thank you, Lord, that we believe we receive your desires dropped in on the inside of our heart as we delight in you. We thank you, Lord, that we commit ourselves, Lord, to the renewal process of our minds so that you can inspire our thinking, God. You got strategies, you got ways to move us into places and position, God. And Lord, we'll not do things the way the world does, leaning on their intellect, leaning on their, their academics, but God, we'll lean on you first because you can supersede academics. You can supersede business experience, God. We thank you, Lord, that the wisdom of God flows on the inside of us. And we give you praise for it. We give you glory. And Lord, even right now, we repent for not considering you first. For considering the circumstances and our limitations, God. God, we decide as an act of our will to magnify you.
And we thank you, Lord, as we just magnify the greatness of who you are. We thank you that the limitations roll away. For with you, nothing shall be impossible. So we give you praise and we give you glory. We thank you, Lord, that you are the God of the impossible. And we thank you, Lord, that we're your children. And we walk in your favor and we walk in your grace. And so we just rest. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.